Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Spartan Speak, a podcast from the Lansing State Journal and Detroit Free Press focused on Michigan State sports. I'm Phil Friend, your host and sports writer for the LSJ, joined by LSJ sports storyteller Nate Atkins. Nate, how are you doing on this beautiful, beautiful Wednesday afternoon? It is beautiful. My gosh, the foliage is coming out. You know, I saw Michigan State the other day, maybe it was yesterday, shared like photos from practice and it was like the most quintessential Michigan fall day and it's like... You know, it's crazy. It's only week two of the season, but here we go. Michigan, Michigan State, and perfect fall weather, and every, everything for everyone to get excited about except for uh, maybe the matchup itself. But, hey, I think that one could be fun, too, in certain ways. I don't know how you had time to even look at the foliage outside. I mean, you should be – you're supposed to be in the film room 24-7 here, just cranking out I, hot takes and being ready to, to break down all things Michigan and Michigan State football. I have been trying to do that, but – my office is also has a big window with just all the foliage in the world around it. And, you know, at least once a day I go on a nice walk with the dog where, you know, you're out in it and you see something other than, um, you know, trying to break down Michigan State's offensive line because that'll, you know, eventually drive you to a very dark and crazy place. So got to have a little bit of humanity. Yeah, you uh, I wish I mentioned to the to the listeners that you wrote about uh, the offensive line immediately in the aftermath or I think it came out a day later in the aftermath of the loss versus Rutgers. And you were pretty critical of the offensive line. But then I saw a tweet later where you were kind of like, uh, maybe I shouldn't have been so hard on him. So I guess kind of where are you, where are you feeling? How are you feeling about the offensive line right now? Well, it's one of those things where it's kind of like Mel Tucker said this. When you were walking, when he was walking off the field, I remember this, when, when the day just ended in the press box, you're like, man, they've got some huge offensive line issues. And I think, some of it they did, but some of it is kind of a confirmation bias because I had big concerns for that group coming into the season. I just don't think they've recruited that position well enough over the years dating back to you know, that group they had in 2015 when they won the Big Ten Championship and could win with an offensive line three yards down the field against Iowa in the Big Ten Championship game. I don't think they've had bodies that would play it at Penn State or Ohio State or Iowa or these different schools like that. And so – when you see them have all this all this pressure from a team like Rutgers, and they end up having I think twelve tackles for loss, three sacks given up, you know they ran for you know less than two yards a carry. You're like that's an offensive line problem, and it you know. But then you go to the film, and it's just it's bigger than that. There are there were some issues I had with the offensive line, but mostly it was it was everything around them that I thought just let them down in that game specifically. But it's one of these weird things. I think the tweet you're referring to that that I have is like the offensive line played better in this game than I thought they would have. But at the same time, I'm just as concerned because playing a little better than I thought you did when I thought you did horrible against Rutgers does not mean you've got no problems on your hands because <laughs> you're not playing Rutgers anymore. This week you're playing Michigan. Gotcha. So so here's so I think 
the Michigan State offensive line versus the Michigan defensive line is going to be the main thing that everybody should watch out for. If you if you watch the Michigan Minnesota game, that Michigan defensive line was relentless throughout the entirety of the game, and that the Don Brown really dialed up a lot of blitzes. And whenever they did, whenever whenever Minnesota went to drop back drop back to pass, they were on Tanner Morgan very quickly. He had a kind of he had a pretty rough day back there, and I think a lot of people would agree that uh, Tanner Morgan is is better than Michigan State's quarterback Rocky Lombardi. And where Minnesota had its success was running the ball. Uh, even though even though they would look, Michigan would load up you know four or five sometimes six guys and then throw a blitzer in there uh, on certain occasions. Michigan Minnesota was able to run the ball, and I think that's something Michigan State is going to have to do. They're going to have to establish the run game one way or another. But the fact that they could not do it against Rutgers for me personally gives me a lot of concern about the Spartans heading into Saturday. A lot of concerns, especially because a lot of what Rutgers did that worked so well against Michigan State is. Not that dissimilar from what I saw Michigan doing against Minnesota and what I think Don Brown's done for a while. You know, it, it, people would think it's probably just lip service when Mel Tucker says, you know, you got to credit Rutgers because how many times has anyone said that with any seriousness over the last decade? But Greg Schiano really did have a great attack. What Rutgers was basically doing was they were taking their nose tackle, Julius Turner, and if you watch the broadcast, you saw Matt Millen was pointing this out, but he was doing it like it was, it was a very concerted effort throughout the game. They're taking the nose tackle, Julius Turner, and they're kind of pinching him inside, already you know shaded over the face of the guard and heading into the center. And what it basically did throughout that game was it forced uh, the guard and the center to both kind of react and have to take him. And that just kind of opened up these blitzes from the outside. If you watch Michigan, they didn't, they, they weren't quite as extreme on that end of, of just totally pinching the nose tackle. But Carlo Kemp was a guy he was he was trying to time up the snap, and he was shaded a little bit inside, and he he would knife through in the middle there, and it would just kind of disrupt things. So how do you react to that? All of a sudden, you're putting two guys on on that nose tackle, and it frees up certain blitzers. Michigan would do this when they bring a middle linebacker around the edge. At one point, they blitzed the slot corner, and that's what forced the kind of on, on Minnesota's second drive that sort of I don't know. I guess it was a fumble right in the arms of of Jeter, who took it into the house. Yep. Um, I, Don Brown's going to look at this film and be like, "That's all the stuff I want to do." Yeah. I anyway, think I think so they're looking at jobs. Yeah. Go ahead, Dane. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Yeah. No. So it just it's like so. What the, the one I guess saving grace for Michigan State heading into this matchup is <laughs> they've been terrorized by that formula once. So how do they adjust? Because I think they were shocked by it. I mean, you could just see their tight ends and their backs did yeah. not seem to be aware that edge pressure was going to be coming the way that it did. Um, they weren't. They they just weren't able to do the things with their guards they wanted to do in that game when they had to keep double teaming a nose tackle. Um, so how do they make adjustments? I think there's a few different ways to do it, but the number one to me is you've got to have backs on the field who can pass protect. And you know, watching Connor Hayward, who's supposedly out there for that, not know um, where the pressure was coming from. Elijah Collins has always struggled with that. You know, the one guy in, in Mel Tucker gave him props this week was Jordan Simmons was picking up some of that. He was doing a reasonably good job yeah. taking pass protection as well as running the ball. And so my 
hot, spicy take. I don't know how hot it really is, but I think Jordan Simmons is going to start the game at running back and be the lead feature back this week against Michigan. So if you're, if you're just looking at what Minnesota is able to successfully do in, in its run game, you know, Ibrahim and Simmons are very different types of running backs. Uh, you know, Ibrahim's really physical between the tackles. If he's running outside, it's right on the edge and, and getting yards that way. And I think that's what we all thought. That's what Elijah Collins would be for Michigan State. And he was not, he didn't get the start in the opener. He wasn't very good. So uh, Michigan State's going to have to, and I don't know if he's going to get any carries this week or not. It'll be, we'll be interesting to see how Michigan State, what they come up with, try, try to have success running the ball, because I think that they're going to have to do that. I think they have to, because Minnesota is a much better passing team in all, in almost all areas than Michigan State, and they could barely pass the ball to save their life against Michigan last week. So I'm just concerned, like I said at the, the, the intro, I'm just kind of concerned on the whole about how Michigan State's going to try to handle all this. Yeah, that's the thing is that, I mean, Michigan State, though, is probably, it's not what we thought coming into the year necessarily, but right now they look like a team that's better suited to throw the ball because at least when you throw the ball, you know, when they got in the second quarter and all that blitzing was getting in their head, Jay Johnson, Jay Johnson just said, you know what, we're going to just go spread them out. We, we're not going to have tight ends yeah. or backs in the backfield. And all of a sudden when Rutgers was rushing four guys, Michigan State was handling it up front. They had nice, clean pockets. Rocky Lombardi was getting the ball out. And that's where the chemistry just wasn't there with quarterback and receiver. I think the problem with Minnesota, when they were trying to do that, it's not easy to pass on Michigan, but – their offensive line and their protection schemes and all that is such a mess with all these new starters up front yeah. that Michigan knew that and jumped all over it. So bottom line is Michigan State's got to find a way to fix up those protection issues. And if they're not going to get fixed in a week, because it is not a lot of time, then you've got to just do more of these empty sets, uh, more of these not necessarily empty, but but no tight ends, You know, spread them out four wide um, and go that way. Get the ball to Jaden Reed, get the ball to Jalen Naylor, and try and hope those guys can make plays. I think that was going looked for a moment against Rutgers like that was going to give them a chance to come back in that game. The chemistry just wasn't there. You had wrong routes run by Jalen Naylor and and fumbles by Jaden Reed. They, if they can, if those two guys can clean that up and be on their game, that's where I think Michigan State can hang in this game. I think you can, I think you can drop back, throw it to athletes, and win uh, matchup, you know, matchups like that. Just by the fact that those guys are good athletes, and I think that's their best chance. Yeah, I just think they need to get get the quick passing game going and, and even even go tempo here. I think they had some success running tempo against Rutgers as well. The thing I noticed with Michigan is that but they, what they need to do is get Michigan in situations where they're only lining up three on the defensive line. So I counted three times where Michigan did that in the first half. It was the first two plays which Michigan <laughs> in which Minnesota got 17 yards on touchdown, and then they went back to it sometime like midway through the second quarter and they got like a, a 12, 13 yard pass debatement off of it. And then I did not see uh, Michigan line up in that formation the rest of the game, at least through the first three quarters anyway. So I think they, they at least they discovered that their bread and butter was kind of stacking the box and whether it's blitzing or, you know, man, man matching and, and trying to beat it matched up that way. So I'll be interested with the, the X's and O's between the two teams and how they try to counter that will, will go. Yeah, I mean, in the history of this rivalry for a long time, it's been teams that really control the ball and, and win in the run game or are usually the one that comes out on top. Michigan State's going to have to run the ball. I mean, you yep. cannot you cannot play keep away from Joe Milton and the Michigan offense just by having Rocky Lombardi throw it 50 times in a game. So it's I think what's going to happen is if they do catch Michigan in that, format, in, that, in that defense where they've got just three down linemen, 
that's when you have to make them pay on the ground. You've got to run up the middle, and that's when maybe you go tempo and you do some option stuff with Rocky Lombardi and whatever back is in. Make Michigan find their way out of it, and then so they're going to have to have you know one or two really successful tempo drives in this game because it's pretty obvious. Look at the personnel in these the, these two teams and the chemistry they have together. Michigan State's just not built to play four quarters at slow pace and win that way. You've got to have a couple of surprise shock shot kind of drives and that's the way to do it catch them in three down linemen and run the ball you've got to find a way to do it and try not to turn the ball over seven times as well <laughs> kind of a <laughs> that so, would help so it looked like minnesota was like running they were running like zone reads and read option but then the tandem morgan never kept it so i don't i don't know if rocky lombardi has that in his arsenal where he could keep it and be successful but uh i mean that could be that's something i was thinking about i was watching and i was like it could be a situation where you know, Peyton Thorne's a little more athletic guy. Maybe it's if they try to mix it up, they might look to him a little bit to see if they can catch Michigan off guard that way. I don't know. I mean, Rocky Lombardi, state qualifier in the hurdles. Uh, you know, he's you talk about a four sport athlete. Yeah, I think he is built for that. I okay. what he's not built for, in my opinion, is if, if you're trying to win on third and ten plus, this is not the situation you want to be in. Rocky Lombardi. He may develop into that eventually. He may be able to, to to see downfield, and and they may eventually have tackles who can who can pass protect that long. But there's a reason why the first time they got into like a third and fifteen against Rutgers, they're doing the swing pass to Connor Hayward. And I know people were throwing their hands up like, "How is that your third down play?" Because they just wanted to get to fourth down. They don't believe that they have the type of personnel and offense to drop back on third and fifteen. Have this quarterback step up, see someone down the field, and deliver a strike that's not going to, you know, have a chance to be intercepted. This isn't this isn't Ohio State or Penn State, right? Even, uh, you know, this is a, a a passing game you haven't even really worked out yet with. So I think they should use the option game a lot because it's yeah. going to yeah. lighten things for their tackles. Um, you can leave a defensive end unblocked just by scheme that way. And it gives you two options in the run game rather than they, they've just got to do stuff like that right now because to line up and just um, to run when Mel Tucker eventually wants to get this team to run when they know you're going to run, they're just not built to do that. They're, they're not going to win those matchups. All right, well, let's move on to the other to the other uh, side of the field unless you have anything else you want to add. No, that's good. Okay, well, let's talk about the Michigan offense versus the Michigan State defense. Last week we talked about how Scotty Hazleton was more likely than not going to run a four-two-five in that Rutgers game. And uh, Nate, from your perspective, did he stick with that a lot, or did they switch up the switch up the defense? Yeah, it was a lot of four-two-five, and it makes sense when you when you take it back to you know that's what Hazleton did last year, but that's also you know Ron Burton has worked in four-man fronts. He's the defensive line coach back. It's just kind of the way you had to roll that way. And um, defense was a lot better, much better side of the ball. Um, maybe they win that by default because the other side of the ball had seven turnovers and in shortened fields. But um, there were some things I think on defense you can build on uh, for Michigan State. I, I liked a lot of what they did on the back end at points in time. Um, the problem, though, is when Rutgers – obviously they had some run fit issues, but when Rutgers had a chance when – they, when, when Noah Vonley could stand back there and throw the ball and they could isolate safeties and man coverage, that's when it got to be a problem. So the pass rush has got to be better than it was. I mean, they got the one play from Beasley, but you've got to be able to to take advantage of an offensive line like that. And and with Michigan against Michigan, who's got a good offensive line, even though they're kind of new, I think that's where you got to start blitzing more. I, I just don't think they rolled that out enough against Rutgers, and they're going to have to 
try some more of that because it worked a little bit for Minnesota. At least, at least some of the run blitzes seem to work pretty well. Yeah. Uh, so Rutgers quarterbacks ran for two touchdowns, I believe, if I remember correctly, in that game. And Milton, of course, is you know has the for for Michigan has the capability to take off and run, whether it's a designed run. We saw saw that from Michigan a couple times on Saturday. A little they like to do a little counter tray type running. Well, they'll pull two they'll pull two offensive linemen out wide, and Milton will kind of follow them. And I think Michigan the defense the four two five just kind of got to be ready for what Michigan do. And it's not just that I, I noticed Michigan ran a vast number of different formations. And they like to do a lot of everything, especially with, with Ben Mason, their their fullback. I, th- I think Ben's his first name. Hopefully, I got that right. Uh, sometimes he would line up wide. Sometimes he would line up as like a wingback. Sometimes he lines up as a fullback. So they really like to incorporate him. But I will say that when he did line up wide, he ended up going in motion across the line. So you know, but they do like to mix things up quite a bit. So we'll be interested to see how Michigan State and Hazleton can handle that. Yeah, Ben Mason. I noticed that too. I think they're using Ben Mason, the fullback, mostly as kind of a just a guy to help you read uh, the coverages. It's an NFL concept. You think Kyle Shanahan, um, you know, Josh McDaniels, they're always motioning fullbacks out to see if it's man or zone. Helps a quarterback like Mixon or Milton who, uh, you know, just hasn't hasn't played enough to be able to read it the same way yet. Um, Tell you, though, it's now that they have a lot of formations, they also just involve a lot of players. They had nine players catch 15 or combined to catch 15 passes. Um, they had 256 rushing yards, and no single player had more than eight carries. So this is a team that's built to play tempo, involve a lot of different people. Um, it's where Michigan State's going to have to be be ready to handle that. But to your point about Milton's running, I mean, the best thing you can do right now for an inexperienced quarterback like that is is find ways to make him throw, meaning they're going to have to stop the traditional run, get him into third in, in obvious passing down situations, and then – you know, obviously, you got to find ways to take away the quarterback run, which means putting them in those situations where it's not a designed read. Um, that's going to be their best chance because there were mo- there were moments where you can see the natural strength and the tools of Milton, but he'd throw the ball just a little bit in front of a guy, a little bit behind a guy. It's both a mix of chemistry and but a, a, a loss of chemistry, but also a loss of just um, some of the mechanical tools that you get by being an experienced quarterback. Yeah, but some of those passes he did he didn't miss but he didn't miss by very much. And then he also got a touchdown pass taken off the board when the that, that fr- the freshman tight end whose last name is escaping me right now dropped a dropped a pass after he got wide open over the middle. But that freshman tight end is also a very dangerous player who seemed to excel versus so the, the thing that just concerns me that Minnesota is supposed to be a very good team this year. You picked them to win the Big Ten West uh this year and <laughs> I did. Uh I mean I still think they're in line for a pretty good season. But it was sort of alarming to see how well Michigan kind of kind of handled that. Yeah, it's, I have a hard time reading too much into Week One this year. It's first. Not only do you have um, the delayed start to the season, but no non-conference games, and so there's a reason why a lot of teams will schedule Akron or uh, Western Michigan their first game out. Right. It's to kind of feel a lot of these things out, and so. You know, you got to credit Michigan for being the more ready team. Same way you can credit Rutgers for being as ready as they were. But it's dangerous to read too much into what we saw just in one game and decide on that. For example, I mean, Michigan State's got to run the ball a lot better than that. Elijah Collins right now had nine, you know, he had nine carries for three yards. And I think Michigan State just knew coming into the year he was not ready to go. Yeah. But. If that ends up being the story of his season, then it then it's a real failure. But if it's just a week one where 
you know, he had a delayed start of the season, didn't think it was going to happen. Now he's here in a new scheme and it didn't work. You know, that that's just the way it goes sometimes. So that's where the, the, there's such a, what was it, a 24-point spread this week in Michigan? It's Is it 24 and a half. 24 and a half. Um, Jesus. That, I don't even know how to read into that yet or any point spreads in these games because – I could see it going that way based on what we saw. And then once it starts spiraling and the turnovers, but at the same time, it wouldn't surprise me at all if Michigan State just used week one to iron out a lot of the kinks and the messes in the in the, the stuff that leads to seven turnovers to find a way to keep this close in a rivalry game. It would not surprise me at all. Yeah. I have another question about the defense, but let's take a break here right now. So when the score was 28 to 20, in the third quarter and Michigan state went for it on fourth and fourth and two and did not get it. That was one of many moments in Saturday's game that Michigan state Spartan fans certainly needed to chill out. It seems like with everything that's going on in the world today, we all need a moment to chill out. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill. And that's Coors light over the last few months. We've gone from no sports anywhere to sports on television everywhere. Coors Light is the official beer of watching any sport or any team. So whether you're watching the Spartans or the World Cornhole Championship or Nate Atkins' beloved Cleveland Browns or beloved Mizzou Tigers, crack open the mountain cool refreshment of a Coors Light. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies, a perfect moment to unwind. For me, I reach for a Coors Light whenever I'm home and a game is on, just like I did on Saturday night when I was watching the Michigan versus Minnesota game. So make sure your refrigerator is stocked with Coors Light. When I need to unwind, Coors Light is the one I choose. Get Coors Light in the new look, delivered straight to your door at get.coorslight.com. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. All right, Nate, let me ask you about another question about the Michigan State defense here. So despite Rutgers scoring 38 points, they did only finish with 276 yards of offense. So I think that's something that the team and fans will kind of point to as maybe something to, to look at and uh, a sign of positivity going into Saturday. Yeah, I mean that of course is also influenced by some shortened fields. I mean they right. was their first their, their I would say their second touchdown was were they at the 1 yard line? I think they were. Uh the first drive was like yeah. 75 yards. It was a real mixed bag cuz the first drive was was just dreadful, especially the the run fit on that touchdown drive, but like I said there were moments where you know they're making some plays in coverage. They were able to get the strip sack from Beasley. Um I I think the the players that stood out to me as the best on the field were the ones that, that should not surprise anyone. The guys most ready to go, Antoine Simmons and Xavier Henderson. And so the rest of the defense is kind of a work in progress. Um, I thought Kalen Gervin played pretty well in coverage and run defense at times. And then there were, you know, there were some times when he, when he slipped up a little bit, but they've, they've just got to bring these other guys along. So what can you do to kind of take, what you know you have in Henderson and Simmons and make it matter more. Well, I think they've yeah. got to blitz Simmons a little bit in this game. Like I said, Minnesota was able to do that, especially um, some of that, the, the wide zone and the option stuff. Um, have him have him eat that. You know, if you have a defensive end that forces the handoff on an option, have Simmons, you know, find a way to blitz him through the middle and a gap blitz to tear that up. And then, and then Henderson, you know, that's a guy that's got to be the kind of matchup tight end guy he's got to be able to neutralize that and if that's that's kind of you know Milton was looking to go that way a lot in that last game he's really looking the middle of the field if you make him throw the edges a little bit more maybe you get him into 
less comfortable situations. You just it's hard to do this on defense because you don't, you know, on offense you can choose who gets the ball. On defense, to choose which players you have to work through is a little harder. But it's where they're just going to have to go a little bit more creative because they're not set to win with just their their four man front the way they have been the past few years with you know guys like Raekwon Williams and and Kenny Willekes and all those guys. Yep. All right, you ready to move on to Big Ten picks? Yep. All right. Well, last week, Nate went five and two. I went four and three. The, the thing that hurts about the four and three is not these aren't even against the spread. These are straight straight up picks. And so I would say that four and three mark for me has pretty been pretty indicative of how my college football betting has gone this year. Like I, I, it was up. I've been doing very well in my NFL bets, but college football has just been an absolute dumpster fire. Yeah, I think, like I said, I, I don't read any of these spreads for much of anything because I think this is just a, a, a train wreck of a year. Yep. But personally, I'd like to count this as four and four for Phil and six and two for me if we add in the prediction of who would start at quarterback because I had Rocky Lombardi mm. and you had anyone but Rocky Lombardi. Yeah, well, um, whatever. That doesn't. I might be bringing not, that up in hindsight because I won that bet, but you know that's, what? That's I think not it's how this, fair. That's not how this works. They didn't even oh. call me out on it in the last uh, on the other Spartan Speak podcast, so I have oh, I have left that nicer guys. I, I have I have left that done and dusted. I have, it is in I, the past. So let's start well, with. I just think after two years of you banging the Rocky drum, someone I had know, to bring that up. I know. All right, first game, Minnesota at Maryland. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Minnesota had some issues on Saturday, but my gosh, that oh, Maryland I know. game. You know, the second that the Minnesota game was getting bad, I'd look over there and it was they can't do anything, offense or defense. Um, I do I think part of that's Northwestern's like I was banging their drum last week. They're better than we thought. But Northwestern should never beat anybody by that much in a Big Ten game. So that's Minnesota all the way. Yep, I'm, I have Minnesota as well. I think that Maryland Northwestern game, I don't know if the, I can't remember if this was the final or not, but it was forty three to three at one point. That's not that's not what you want. Yeah, no. If you're ever down 43 to 3 to Northwestern, um, throw out everything you did that week. <laughs> Purdue at Illinois. Ooh, I think Purdue was the separating game for us last week. I had them and you had Iowa, and that's why yep. I'm a game up. Got to go with Purdue again. Um, Illinois, rough, rough, especially defense. You thought they'd have it, and they let Graham Mertz basically uh, complete every single pass. So uh, definitely got Purdue. Yeah. I, uh, I have learned from the error of my ways and have Purdue as well, although I thought it was interesting that Purdue did say not only is Rondell Moore not playing again this week, but he hasn't even practiced. So who knows if we'll even see him at any point this season. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. On the, on the, cause since I left, <laughs> thank you, Nate. <laughs> on the, uh, uh, since uh, well, I, I feel bad because I think Rondell Moore is a big reason I was on the Purdue train, so yeah. I don't know how I'm going to pivot from that. But as long as they win and they deliver, I'll look smart either way. There you go. Since I had listed these in uh, order of time, here we have the big game of the week, Michigan State at Michigan. I mean, got to go Michigan. Yeah. I, I don't – this feels like a game that's either going to be a 40-point win for Michigan or like 10. I, You know, it, I think all those things are on the board for Michigan State. They'll have a much better plan. They won't turn the ball over seven times. Um, how much they let Michigan's huge, huge gap in talent shine through uh, with no fans in the stands in a rivalry game. Big mystery, but I, it's hard to see Michigan State doing enough well of anything on either side of the ball to pull this one out. Yeah, I think Michigan wins as well. Do you think they'll cover? Do you think they'll cover the 24 and a half? If I had to guess, I'd say yes, but if I'm, that, that's a game you stay away from because it can go in like 
17 different directions. Yeah. Northwestern at Iowa. I'm going Northwestern. Uh, they, they've always kind of been that thorn in Iowa's side. And then especially they come out last week with Peyton Ramsey. New offense looked much more modern. You mix that with Pat Fitzgerald defense on the road against a kind of newer quarterback. Um, I was desperate, but got Northwestern. Yeah, I, I'm taking the Northwestern bait as well after after their dismantling of Maryland. This might be a game where we look back and I'm like, oh, yeah, we should not we should not have picked this game. <laughs> get right game for Iowa would not be surprising. Yeah, Indiana, no uh, Indiana at Rutgers. Ooh, the big showdown, the two powerhouses yes. uh, that have emerged in the Big Ten. I uh, got to go with Indiana still. I mean, they, that's the one team that I don't know how much to read totally into what Rutgers did, but I think Indiana's legit. Thought they were coming into the year. They've got it on both sides of the ball, and I think they're really feeling it now. This could be a letdown game, but I think in a short season, you can avoid that a little bit better. And if you're Indiana and you're having letdown games, you've got deeper issues that may never get solved. So they've got to take care of business. Yeah, I have Indiana as well. I, we both talked about last week how we liked them as possible to be Penn State. Then neither of us pulled the trigger, and then they went and, yep. ended, up, and ended up doing it. So good, good, good times. <laughs> All right. So obviously uh, the Wisconsin-Nebraska game has been postponed, so we will not pick that. However, when I did put this on the run sheet, even though Wisconsin would, be, would have been playing its fourth-string quarterback, I still had Wisconsin as my pick to win. Nate, were you still, would you still have picked Wisconsin with its fourth-string quarterback over Nebraska? See, that's the thing. is I, I wanted to check today before we made our picks because if it got down to fourth string or anywhere near that, I think it was going to go Nebraska. Gotcha. I'm just glad we don't have to pick it. Yep, off the board. And the actual big game of the week, Ohio State at Penn State. Yeah, you know, this. I, I would be tempted to pick Penn State if they had the fans in the stands. I mean, this is they, they rise up to Ohio yeah. State like no other team in the Big Ten does. I just think when you're going to try and take on Justin Fields right now and you've got no fans in the stands to do it, there's just too much to cover. He was moving Garrett Wilson into the slot. I don't see how Penn State's going to be able to handle that. No Micah Parsons on the field. Um, Penn State will hang around. They'll make it close, but I got Ohio State. Yeah, I like Ohio State as well. I mean, they should win out. The reason this Big Ten season is even happening is because of them for the most part. So just – just go keep winning games, I guess, Ohio State, since, since that's why we're playing. <laughs> All right. That's why we're playing. Got to get money. That's right. All right. Any final thoughts before we uh, check out for the day? Uh, I just think back to last week when we were making these picks and we thought, well, you know, Michigan State's got a lot to iron out, but, you know, there's no way they're going to lose to Rutgers. Well, welcome to 2020. Things are unpredictable. I have a feeling one of the games we just picked is going to make us look really stupid. I think you might be right on Iowa Northwestern, but yeah. who knows? Maybe Rutgers goes to two and zero. Could be Purdue Illinois too. I mean, uh. <laughs> it could. I know there could be that. It could even be Penn State with their backs against the wall, trying not to go down zero two. Well, uh, that one I kind of doubt, but we'll see. It, it'll be a fun season, though. It's it, it, one thing I'll point out is we debated this week going to just picking the spread. Yes. And I told him this season of all is the year to just pick the games because it's already naturally unpredictable. Well, and I, spreads I think are just a silly game. Well, I couldn't have done any. I couldn't have done any worse with the spread than I did straight up. So, anyway. well, just be glad we're not including that Rocky Lombardi pick as part of this. You're still in the game. Only one Sorry, back. I, and next week I'm just going to come out with a huge ode to Rocky Lombardi. Rocky Lombardi and be like, I never doubted you for a second, Rocky. Never. Yep. Never. Well, who knows? Soon they're going to put in Peyton Thorne. You'll see. Yeah. See, they were just delaying the plan. There you go. All right. However you spin it, you got to spin it. 
So you're, you're doing a better job spending it for me than I actually did for myself. I'm just I'm just sitting here taking L's all over the place. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you for joining us for this edition of Spartan Speaking, production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and the USA Today Network. If you enjoy this podcast and the work surrounding it, please consider subscribing. You can follow our coverage at lsj.com, freep.com, and on Twitter at Phil underscore friend, at Nate Atkins underscore, and at LSJ Green White. Thanks for listening. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.